Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. That, of course, was the CBS Sports theme music of the National Football League when John Madden made his debut with that network. Covering the National Football League as a broadcaster. We welcome you to this bonus podcast, All Madden Special. My media spotlight guys, Adam Eaton, Eric Lopez, will be joining me to discuss that. As John Madden, just days after the All Madden documentary aired on Fox, passes away at the age of 85. But we are here for a celebration of life for the great John Madden. And again... Glad to have my guys, Adam Eaton and Eric Lopez, here to do just that. Guys, thanks again for being here. Awesome to be on here, especially for this show in particular. I've uh, since you sent the invite, I've been actually uh, been looking forward to this. I've watched the documentary five times, so uh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I've been on a John Madden YouTube rabbit hole, and uh, it was a, quite an experience. So I'm happy to uh, to share some insight on the on the great John Madden. Yeah, and and I as well. So, uh, you know, first, let's talk about that All Madden special on Fox uh, that uh, aired on Christmas Day. He's done a couple of rearings on FS1. It will, we're recording on Thursday. It's going to air in primetime on Fox tonight and then be available on streaming on ESPN Plus and Peacock. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to catch it, make sure you do catch it. Uh, uh, it's great stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, my initial reaction to the documentary was, I was always kind of captured by, you know, when, you know, John Madden sitting in his home studio there and they're showing the uh, the big wall and showing the people that are talking about him and all that and, and, and the reverence they had for him and just seeing the appreciation in his eyes, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I was kind of like the Seinfeld thing. What is this salty discharge? Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, kind of hits you in the feels a little bit. Uh, that was one thing. And then the other thing that really kind of stood out to me. Melissa Stark, you know, because I had forgotten how young she was when she joined Monday Night Football. And, you know, it's hard to imagine because, you know, she's hardly aged, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you th- and you think about that. And, you know, she was just really, you know, cutting her teeth and she's doing that on one of the biggest uh, primetime stages ever. And you know, the fact that John Madden, you know, welcomed her and mentored her was uh, was really, really cool. So it was like the real two things that uh, stood out to me. Uh, Eric, what? how about you? I think what stood out to me is the different generations. They did a great job. Uh, Tom Rinaldi directed this. This is, you know, people wonder why did Tom Rinaldi leave ESPN for Fox? This is like, probably one of the reasons because he could do projects like this and kind of spooky the timing of all this too. Like big that they were able to get this done before his passing. Like to get this, this has been hyped since Christmas. I think Fox has done a great job. It did 3 million viewers, by the way, in the original airing. That's a monster number, you know, to put that in perspective, like the UCF Florida bowl game did 3.2 million. So big success there. But what stood out to me is all the different NFL players from the different generations they got that he's impacted from a Joe Montana, who that was his first Super Bowl he was a part of. And when they beat the Bengals in Detroit in 81, the season uh, to guys like, you know, Lawrence Taylor to, you, Tom Brady, but to Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells. But then you have the Lamar Jacksons and Patrick Mahomes. They're talking about the video game 
and how that's impacted. And that's how they got into football. Uh, I thought they did a great job talking about the different impacts that he had as a coach, as a broadcaster, and how he related to people because that's what made him the greatest not only analyst in any sport, let alone football, but arguably maybe the greatest sportscaster broadcaster we will ever have uh, with the impact. And, the, and I really love the touch. They would every time when every time they would come back, they would come back with a man commercial, which I thought was a great touch in there. Every time it was a man commercial to just understand how big of a figure he was in the in America in television. Adam. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing for me is he he transcended football. I mean, he's he is a uh, an icon across uh, so many different platforms. I mean, obviously, as a coach, where a lot of people probably forget that uh, part of his life at this point, right? As a broadcaster, as a video game guy, as a as a as a pitch man for many different um, you know many different brands. I, I think he transcends you know just what football was. And the to Eric's point, how many people were touched by him? How many people had a story about him? How many people he impacted? You know, I think his legacy goes you know almost into i know a, a term we use today is as a social media influencer right but i, I think and he's maybe one of the early adopters of being an influencer because of all the people that he influenced to learn more about football to watch football to enjoy football uh, and then to obviously see him um you know in, in the setting of you know sitting in his house and how he how he still partakes that that wasn't an act you know sometimes you wonder if these guys really care about football or are they really watching the tape right that, that's clearly not an act for john madden he clearly you know lived breathe eat slept football and i think that's uh, you know that's what resonates a lot with him, but I think it's interesting. Eric said something funny. I was um, I was watching. Um, it was on Christmas Day when the when the doc came out, and my family was around. We were watching it, and my son was looking at. It. He's only nine, and he's like, "Is that the video game guy?" And I was like, well, yeah, that's that's the video game guy. Uh, and I had to kind of explain quickly, you know, what else he did, right? And it, and it got it struck me that to Eric's point earlier so many people now don't even remember him as a broadcaster and certainly fewer remember him as a coach and that's how much he's transcended it's kind of like you know when i had to explain to my daughter that dr dre didn't just make headphones right he also did some music <laughs> back in the day and it's kind of the same thing with matt and he's not just a video game guy and i think that's to eric's point how many different generations are impacted and touched by john Madden. it wasn't just us old guys who watch football it wasn't just guys older than us who saw him coach it's it's kids who are eight nine years old today in my son's fourth grade classroom who are talking about madden still and and i think that just talks about how much he transcended and maybe he was the original social media influencer because he certainly influenced a lot of people through football yeah well and, and 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 i'll tell you i mean you say that about your kids i mean when i when i first started watching football in the mid 80s i didn't know he was a coach <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, i just saw it was like this big guy like he's doing this drawings on the tv and then wow that's kind of cool and boom bang i mean such a pure genius in that and, and, and the documentary did a heck of a job, Rich, uh, you know, with the, 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 the behind the scenes people talking about it, how he revolutionized the industry, how he had this act, uh, way of talking to people and explaining to people as a teacher. He was, you know, he taught in Cal Berkeley in football, but he knows how to explain the things in football that, that was never done before in a doc, you know, in, in a football broadcast like. You know, Nate Newton was on. He talked about how they made Nate Newton a big deal because how he, you know, he loved offensive linemen and he would highlight them. And and that's what he, he gave to the audience was he simplified it for the, you know, the casual fan that would tune in occasionally or whatever. But he also kind of, you know, he really dialed in to the, the, the landscape of the game and explained it in a way that it sounded simple, which is not the easiest thing to do. And I thought they did a great job on that, explaining that in the documentary. 
Yeah, and I think we have all the spectrums covered too because I watched him coach. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, so there you go. And you know, and, and the other interesting aspect too was uh, Lawrence Taylor. You know, uh, Tom Rinaldi. I saw a story he said you know when he reached out to people to do the do the show. LT says, "Well, I don't do interviews uh, for nobody." And then they told him it was for John Madden. He goes, "Oh, we'll work that out." So, and you could see, you know, LT, how much he, how much he loved John Madden uh, during that special for sure. Um, you know, he was the, he was a very young head coach. You know, everybody talks about like the Sean McVeighs and the Zach Taylors of the world. You know, John Madden was 32 when Al Davis made him the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. And, you know, you can say what you want about Al Davis, but he uh, had a good eye for uh, seeing assistant coaches and making them head coaches because he would do the same thing with Tom Flores after Madden, who just went into the Hall of Fame. He had 10 seasons of coaching, never had a losing season. And, of course, he did win a Super Bowl as a head coach. And, again, you talk about the people who don't know what his credentials were as a head coach. I mean, if he would have coached, you know, 20 years like a Landry or a Shula, you know, what kind of numbers he had. His winning percentage was, like, off the charts. 75, one over three-fourths of his games. But what's kind of crazy, he didn't get in until 06 as a coach. He got in as a broadcaster, but he didn't get in as a – and I remember Fred Godelli – who is the the best, maybe the best producer in television right now with NBC Sports right now in the Sunday Night Football. He said that when he started working with him, he just assumed he was in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, <laughs> it, was, it was just, it, that was kind of blown away. And how much it meant to him to be inducted Hall of Fame, and how much it meant to, like, a Troy Aikman to, and I thought it was so fitting that Troy was in it and talked about how he was so proud and honored that John Mann and Pat Summer were the soundtrack of his teams and his career, and it was Troy that basically followed John on Fox. Like, Troy's been the guy. I mean, he was there with Collinsworth at the beginning, and then Collinsworth moved on, but Troy kind of followed. So it's, in a way, it was kind of the perfect, uh, send, you know, going from Madden to Aikman, because Aikman was a big Madden guy. And that was, you know, Brett Favre was a big guy. That was the thing, that guys can relate to John. And John, and they mentioned this in the documentary. And I wish, I, as much as I love the documentary, I still wish they could have done more stuff. Like, I think there was, like, I wish they would have done more in the relationship with him and Pat Summerall. I wish they would have gone more into detail of why he decided to leave Fox to go to ABC. Was it because of Monday Night Football lore? Was it because he wanted to work with Al Michaels? They kind of glossed over that uh, type of stuff. But uh, he was a guy that, and I, I forgot about this until they brought it up in the documentary. He was the guy that changed the, the, the way the broadcast preparation began. He was the one that's like, why don't we just talk to the coaches before the game? You know, leading up to the game. That hadn't been done before, which kind of blows my mind now. Because that's all production. Part of the production is huge in a telecast now. And it's kind of crazy that he was the one that's like, eh, well, maybe I should talk to. Like, maybe we should talk to these coaches and players before the game. I think back to his coaching for a sec, Jeff, I think what's interesting is if you look at it now, he was kind of the trendsetter there too, right? I mean, 10 years and he retired, you know, and obviously he had some health issues, but uh, coaches today, they keep on going, they keep going. And, and maybe that was kind of the, the, the precursor to what he was going to continue to do, because I think what you would say about Madden is he always did it his way. Uh, you talked about, you know, broadcasting. I think, you know, instead of going in the booth and saying, let me broadcast like other people broadcast, I'll get used to the media, I'll get used to this. He was like, no, you guys get used to me. This is how I'm going to broadcast. I'm going to use these loud noises. I'm going to write all over the screen. You know, to Eric's point, I was reading a story where he basically, you know, kind of, I don't want to say got mad, but he, he was 
very uh, upset that they were only going to let him watch game film. And he was like, I'm not watching game film. I want the coaches tape. I want to go. I don't want to talk to the PR guy. I want to talk to the coaches. And I think that's, you know, maybe him walking away from coaching after 10 years just got precursor to saying he was going to do things his way. And I think that's what probably endeared him to broadcasting is he was so different from everybody else. And he wasn't going to, you know, adapt to what the typical broadcaster was. It almost feels like his mantra was, you guys adapt to me. And I think to Eric's point, all the different things that came out of that, I know we'll talk about some of the stuff from production meetings to the first down line, all the things that he essentially just said, why are we doing this? I think it kind of goes to show the way his thought process was and 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 sort of what probably endeared him to, to people is because he wasn't trying to be the version of what everyone thought a broadcaster was. I think he was just trying to be himself. And I think that's ultimately what people ended up falling in love with was John Madden, the person, which is what we were seeing every week, not John Madden, some sort of, you know, facsimile of a broadcaster. Yeah. And, you know, as, as a head coach and you look back at those Oakland Raider teams, you know, and the rules were different then, but, you know, they were arguably the toughest football team in the, in the NFL. You probably put the Steelers uh, up there as well, but they were a physical football team, sometimes considered a little dirty uh, uh, at times. Now, I don't know if uh, John Madden per- was a proponent of, of dirty football, but uh, they were a, they were a tough-as-nails football team, and they were also kind of like a second-chance you for people. You know, they would get cast-offs from other teams and, and make them integral pieces uh, in, 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 their, in their playoff teams. It's also worth pointing out and I, Chris Berman, who did actually a fantastic job, the Sports Center when the, on the night that he passed away did a great job. They did a whole had Chris Berman on to talk about John and, and things like that. And, and people got to maybe some people don't realize this. People say, "Well, he only won a Super Bowl." Well, he was going up against the Steeler teams from the '70s, which is an iconic team with all the Hall of Famers. And they had that controversial, immaculate reception game that people see the highlights. You had the Dolphin teams. With Shula and you know the perfect team, I mean, they ran into some buzzsaw teams in the seventies. I mean, they could have easily been the team of the decade uh, if a ball bounces a certain way for them, a couple you know different directions with Kenny the Snake, Snake Stabler and some of the teams. But that was the fascinating thing, and they pointed that out in the documentary. You mentioned all the quote unquote second chances and the outlaws, but. That's what made John such a great coach, and it's what I think helped him as a broadcaster is he can relate to every guy. He can relate to every guy. It didn't matter where you were coming from. And he's like, look, I got – and he he'd applied the same rules in broadcasting that he, that he did as a coach, which is you don't want to give too many rules because you can't follow all of them. So he kept it simple, and I, I thought that's what made him such a great coach and the success with the Raiders – and it, it's really he's the standard, right? Like he's the standard with the Raiders. Uh, like Tom Flores may have won more Super Bowls, but I think people, when you think about the Raiders and coaches, John Madden comes up first. And how much of an influence Madden was on Flores, too? I mean, yeah, for sure. absolutely. Absolutely. No question. Yeah, I mean, uh, no doubt. People remember him for that for that Super Bowl win in 76, but he, he also went to six AFC Championship games, right? I mean, to, to Eric's point, Steelers and Dolphins are littered within that, too. So while you know he only, only won one Super Bowl, I mean, going to six AFC Championship games just shows you how close those teams were. And obviously, the Raiders had that silver and black persona, the commitment to excellence. I think you can absolutely point to Madden's 10 years there as one of the foundation layers of making that what it was, right? Of that team, of those teams, of the Jack Tatums, of the Willie Browns, who were going to come across the middle and they're going to take your head off. And I think that was part of, you know, the commitment to excellence at silver and black bravado that ended up coming from the Steelers. I think Madden's a huge part of laying that foundation for the, for that fan base and that team. 
Absolutely. So then, of course, after his coaching career, you know, for what many people know him as is is the great broadcaster he is. And, uh, uh, you know, it was very interesting. You know, he did not actually want to go into broadcasting right out of the gate. And uh, so he's finally talked into it. Uh, he does a uh, an audition game, like one of those closed circuit practice games with Bob Costas, uh, you know, who's literally a kid at the time. Madden Bob, he was like 12 years old. You know, so then he goes and, you know, works for CBS. He works with guys like, uh, I don't know know if you guys are familiar with the name Frank Gleber. Frank Gleber preceded Vern Lundquist as the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. And he was always one of those guys that they paired with new people because he was just one of those great setup guys that took make the analyst look good. Uh, he would also work with Dick Stockton. Vince Scully uh, worked with him quite a bit uh, as well. And how it came about to being paired with Pat Summerall, uh, they did one game together before they were paired together officially as a fill-in assignment. Um, but Pat Summerall worked with Tom Brookshire. And they were pretty much known as the, as the sun, uh, as the, you know, Butch and Sundance. They uh, were, were hard-drinking, partying guys. And it, they, in fact, they did the 1980 Super Bowl hungover, essentially. And so the story goes that, you know, they figured, OK, we got to do something about this because either they're going to drink themselves out of a job or to an early grave <laughs> if, we, if we keep these guys together. So they start looking at that and they start doing, uh, you know, they know they got mad and they see him as a rising star. And so they, they do some practice games and it was actually, you know, Summerall had to re-earn his spot. Because Madden had to, Madden did a game, you know, practice games with Vince Scully. Vince Scully could have been the number one voice at CBS for the National Football League had things worked out different. But the, how they ended up together was just perfect because, you know, Pat Summerall was just, you know, the classic play by play brevity. Boom. You know, here comes Madden doing his thing. And, and I think the thing Madden said the, the most about Summerall was, you know, Pat got it that, you know, a lot of times play-by-play guys would try to lead the analyst somewhere and it wasn't where they wanted to go. So Pat would do his thing, let John do his thing and then cap it off, which would, would made them such a, such an amazing partnership. So uh, just, you know, how they came together, you know, was by some chance. Well, it was a yeah. random, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and you can explain, you can explain this to me because I still don't really fully grasp this because you know, nowadays in broadcasting, everybody everybody knows who the number one team is, who the number two team is. They're they're paired. But even if you go back to the early, you mentioned in '81, there was like people forget this. Like that 49er Cowboy game, the catch with Joy Clark, was called by Vince Scully and Hank Stram. Yes, which I don't really understand how that like what happened there. Like I, that was kind of you wouldn't see that today. You wouldn't see you're you know the team that calls the super bowl not call the nfc championship game mm-hmm. uh that was the thing and, and i was listening to uh the bill simmons podcast actually with uh, tom curtis and they said that part of the reason and you hear it in the documentary one of the reasons why pat got picked over vince scully is because pat was his strength was he was comfortable saying not saying much he knew that John had to be it was going to do his thing, and he said, "Where's Vin, who's the greatest play-by-play guy, maybe arguably in baseball history? Well, he talks too much, which is kind of funny." And Vin Scully, I remember he was on the Rich Eisen show a few years ago. His last football game he ever called was the catch. After that, once they picked Summer, he went on to NBC and then baseball. Uh, but it's so fascinating. What was that like? Because I, I'm 
it seems very like all over the place, wasn't it? I mean, it would take me through that that time period because I'm still confused how Vince Scully and Hank Stram are doing the NFC Championship game between the Cowboys and the Niners, but then Pat Summerall and John Mann are doing the Super Bowl that same year. Yeah, unless it was something they had to do contractually uh, for sure. for Vin uh, uh, for him to be part of the uh, part of the CBS network, I you know because typically it was you know Summerall and Brookshire uh, right calling games uh, the, the 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 top game of the week. So uh, yeah, that might have just been kind of a quirky circumstance. And uh, of course, you had to bring up the catch. Knowing I'm a Cowboy fan, just. Put one I right got there two cowboy me. fans in here. It'll get <laughs> better as the ticket goes. <laughs> but it was interesting. Credit to the behind the scenes people because they clearly saw something in Matt. Every time they you know they work with different people, they saw it and they picked him, rightfully so. And credit to them to figuring out that Pat Summerall was the perfect fit. And it, to be honest, it, I don't think to your point, I don't think Pat Summerall would be as revered now if he didn't work with John Madden. Like that really brought out the best in both. And again. Pat is the best broadcaster, and this is strange to say, but somebody who's done play-by-play, this is very difficult. People are not, to not talk. It's very difficult, uh, you know, to use very small words. Pat was the best at it. A lot of people try to do it. Joe Buck's probably the best at it now, but even Joe admitted early in his career he tried to do a bad impersonation of Pat Summerall where, hey, you say a few words and let the crowd say the play. That's not as easy as people think. Pat was the best, and he had no ego. And John Madden, the documentary, made a great point. Pat, having been an analyst, having been a player, kind of understood everybody's role, and he kind of let John flourish. Yeah, I think those two were the perfect pairing. And while I don't have this specifically uh, accurate, I do know early on, I know obviously Madden famously does not fly. So I knew I was reading early on he was taking trains and Amtrak. So maybe there's a travel thing, Eric, in that 81 game. Maybe he was too far away. That's a good uh, point. Who, who knows? Because I, I did read a little bit about there was a game. There was one week he took off because he was in San Diego to Tampa back to Colorado or something, and he just couldn't do the logistics. Well, and the so Super Bowl was in Detroit thing. that year. Yeah. So maybe that's to your point, because I don't think they had the extra week in between the championship game and the Super Bowl like they do now. So that could explain it where, hey, I can't go from San Francisco and then be at the Super Bowl because – even on the documentary, they met Pat Summerall. They they show the clip where he says, "We've been here since Monday, and I can't wait." So you're that might that's a great point. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I, again, I don't I don't know that's for a fact, but I, I read something about logistically early on before the Madden Cruiser came to be, he was relying on on trains and Amtrak to get in places. But yeah, I think to your larger point, Jeff, I mean the the pairing of of Summerall and Madden, I mean those two names are synonymous together. I, I don't even know that I could picture. I know we saw the later Al Michael stuff, and that was okay, but it, it was always Summerall and Madden. I think those were always the two. And and it's funny, I was reading through um, when Pat Summerall passed away. John Madden gave the eulogy, and he, he was talking, he was talking, he was talking, and uh, he said, "I know Pat's looking." down to me right now and saying three words to me brevity 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 uh, but he continued to talk on for another two minutes after that so i think to eric's point that was probably some of those two worked on a lot and it was clear that i think that's the that's probably what made them okay was you know some are all allowed and mad to be the personality and i think sometimes with a play-by-play guy that can be tough right because you want to be the personality you want to have that and it feels like felt like some are all was perfectly fine taking that second chair if you will and letting madden be mad and i think that's what made that pairing great yeah. And, you know, when I uh, I had Jeff Sharon on the other night and I kind of mentioned to him, I said, you know, as an aside, you know, Frank Caliendo owes his career to John Madden, does yeah. he not? I mean, he's yeah. a great imp- I mean, he's a great impressionist, but the John Madden impression is really what made him a star. <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, every <laughs> every analyst in football owes it to him now because, yeah. you know, you look at the football the way it is now. I think it's the depth, the quality depth is just better than ever before. 
You know, I, I you know, you got you got it, but yet you look at the three main guys, for example, Tony Romo, Troy Aikman, and Chris Collinsworth. You put the three of them combined, that's John Madden in a way. Like Chris Collinsworth, I think is the best with the telestrator and explaining the offensive line. That's John Madden-esque there. Romo has that personality that can kind of gravitate people in TV with his personality. Oh, Jim, I don't, you know, he's got that kind of Madden mystique there from a personality. Then Troy Aikman is the big name. It's like, ooh, that's Troy Aikman. You know, that's John Madden. The three of them combined is John Madden. That's And that's, I don't know if people realize that, like, John Madden was in a different level. There was nobody close to him. Nobody would touch him back then. Like, with respect to Merlin Olsen, I was telling I was talking to Jeff off the air. Like, I'm a Dolphin fan, so I watch the AFC package on NBC a lot. And I like Dick Emberg and Merlin Olsen and Don Creek. He was fine. But then when I would flip over to CBS when the Dolphins weren't playing and it's a Cowboy-Giant game and it's Pat Summer John Madden, it just felt different. It felt like a different level. Uh, and, and that pat and the excitement, I'm like, I need to watch this. Even though I'm not a fan of either team, this feels important. And that's – nobody had that back then other than Madden and Summerall. Uh, that's why they they're still the standard. Yeah, absolutely. well, the challenge is I don't I don't know not just not just because of how great he is. I don't think we get another Madden, and and because of of what you just talked about, right? And, and when we grew up, you turned on the four p.m. you know window, and it was Madden and Summerall, you know, with the Cowboys and the Giants, right? Now you grow up, and if you're a whatever fan, and the four o'clock window is Aikman and Buck, but you're a Browns fan, you just go to Sunday Ticket and you watch the Browns game. I, I, we were all forced to grow up with John Madden. That's not a bad thing. That's just the way TV worked. So he became the fo- the voice of football. He was the football expert. Now with Red Zone. With, with Sunday ticket stuff. I don't know how many people will sit down and watch, you know, America's Game of the Week versus watching their team or watching to see if their fantasy player is going to do well and whoever the announcers are, so be it. So I, I think Madden came at a, a time where, you know, it just, it just worked out perfectly. And he's going to be the football voice for a generation and probably the, the remainder of time because I don't know that you're going to gravitate to somebody anymore because there's too many options and there's too many other things in your way. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were stuck with Madden and luckily we were. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that, if that ever really, um, you know, if we can get another John Madden-esque type of person just based on all those logistics. Well, yeah, plus I mean, we, nip, we, we nitpick broadcasters now too more than ever before, right? Like, heck, we do this show. <laughs> yeah. Critique it, right? Like, we didn't have that back then. Maybe Rudy Marsky was around, but like, you know, now we have sort of comparisons. Like, we'll nitpick Tony Romo or Chris Collins. For Tra- I think they're all great, but yet yeah. you'll find things that people will nitpick. We didn't do that. We just kind of watched Summer on Madden and just kind of, wow. And I do think part of it is, you know, that's that's the, the, the state we grew up with. You're right. That's football. And but John had a way and I, I always disagree. People, people always say, well, people don't tune in for the broadcasters. They don't draw. They don't add to the broadcast and the ratings, whatever they watch for the game. And that's true. The game is the most important thing. But a, a unique special broadcasters can bring an element to the game. And John Madden was that guy. Like, he brought viewers. He brought the diehards in, as I mentioned, but he could also bring in a person, a family member that didn't care about football, hadn't watched football all year, but they would watch the Super Bowl and they understood everything John was talking about. Like, wow, there's John Madden. I got to stop watching that. That's the specialness. There's only even a handful of people that could say that, and he's one of them. That's why I think he's on a Mount Rushmore from a broadcasting standpoint. I think he's one of the most, if top five, most important people in the history of the NFL. All right. But yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And the, you know, the other thing that, that kind of comes to mind, the only other broadcast crew that I would think would come close to notoriety would be 
the old Monday Night Football crew, uh, Frank Gifford, Howard Cosell, and Dandy Don. It was a different presentation altogether. Which Madden hated. <laughs> yes, which, which he hated, but maybe the most well-known, right. uh, you know, in comparison. So, But that uh, was a different style of broadcast because yes. it was more like Howard Cosell was like the talking, you know, give his opinions, but he didn't give you X's and O's, and Don Meredith was more of a character. And, and like they did a documentary, they mentioned how Madden hated the, the media. They didn't have any respect for him. He called him like... Uh, you know, the, you call them hairdos, hairdos, right? <laughs> and there, and there was a story they shared about Howard Cosell's like a great show, to John, and John Man's like, you know, and that's his life and death for him. And he brought that to the broadcast. He understood what this game meant to the players and the coaches, and that's so important in the broadcast is to tell their side of the story. Like, hey, this is what Bill Parcells is thinking. This is what their team's thinking, and and, and that that didn't exist back then. Yeah, well, I don't think Madden wanted to be the star, right? He wanted the game to be the star, and he wanted to to show you the things that were happening. He, he didn't want to be the star. Where uh, obviously Cosell was was a little bit more about Cosell, right? I think I think Mad just wanted the game to be the star. He was just yes. lucky and yes. happy to be there telling you about it. Where he didn't care if you, you know, I don't think he was trying to, you know, trademark boom, right? Like I don't think that was something he was trying to sell or market. It just happened to be the way he talked about stuff. Where I think some of those other guys were more strategic and, and trying to do certain things. So I think that's where probably where Mad and had that, that differentiator between uh, those, you know, Monday night teams who are, they brought the show with them where Madden was like, the show's already here. It's the game. I'm just happened to be the guy telling you about it. Yeah. And of course, you know, it was a, you know, a big moment in the NFL in, in 1994 when the, uh, when they decided to, uh, to take on Fox as a partner, CVS was out of the picture. So you look at the, at the time, Fox was pretty much known for the Simpsons and married with children. And that was it at the time. And, you know, and, and don't forget people, Beverly Hills 90210. But people joke, what are you going to have Homer Simpson call the game and uh, Al Bundy talk about his high school heroics? Uh, what are you going to do here? But, you know, of course, obviously, the first thing was, OK, well, basically, Fox is going to hire all the CBS people. But you got to remember at the time. You know, NBC is still in play. ABC and ESPN are still in play. So they're, uh, you know, options for these uh, for these talents, whether they're in front of the camera or behind the camera. But sure enough, you know, some are all Madden go to Fox and you can say whatever you want. I mean, would Fox still be around had they not gotten the NFL? I mean, some could argue it may not have lasted or even gotten as big as it got. But then you get the NFL, and then if you get you get some role in Madden, it's totally legitimate now. You well, know? they had to get them, yeah, because you can get the NFL all you want, but if they don't get, because I remember, and I don't know if you guys felt the same when I remember when that news happened. The, the reaction was not as much about. I mean, there was people like, "Wow, CBS is losing the NFL," but the bigger thing is like, "Well, wait a minute, what's going to happen to Madden Summerall? Like what?" Like, is that, are they going to be, this is it? Like, that was the, people were generally concerned, which you don't see that anymore in broadcast. Like, and I think, you know, they had Rupert Murdoch in the document. That tells you how important this was, you know, deal was to get Matt and Matt asked, is the standard going to be as good as at CBS? And he's like, no, it's going to be better. They needed to get Summerall Matt. Without Summerall and Madden, I don't think they get the credibility. I think they would have gotten scrutinized because they did them, you know, they've done some, things that I'm not been a fan of. Like, for example, they, I think it was a year or two into it, they did that broadcast where they had Terry Bradshaw and Jimmy Johnson with no play-by-play guy, which was a disaster. Like, <laughs> you know, but having Madden and Summer, everybody's like, all right, you know what? 
as long as we have man and summer all we're good all right everything else we can we'll, we'll figure out how they do and then they had they they created graphics and score bugs and things like, but that was important without john mann and pat summerall there i don't think fox reaches the success level with the nfl i think they maybe lose the package at some point but because they had patent Matt and summerall that bottom that exposure and that credibility that obviously exists today now with fox and the nfl which to a, a, a generation that's all they know yeah, uh, so a quote, Rupert Murdoch called him uh, the crown jewel of all sports programming in the world, which obviously shows you uh, how much that, that means. A fun fact about that I read, too, is that uh, NBC offered to uh, GE, which obviously was, uh, was was part of NBC and, and, and some sort of a partnership at that point, offered to build him a luxury train if he went to NBC at that time. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we could have had the, the Madden train versus the Madden cruiser. But I think you're both are right. I, I think Fox, that legitimized the, the NFL coverage. So I think initially, you were, you know, to your point, Jeff, it was like, what, this, they're going to do what's it going to be are we going to have homer simpson is you know is luke perry going to you know do the coin toss every week what's this going to look like <laughs> and i think when you bring in those guys you you it showed the world we're going to be serious about giving you a serious football broadcast to eric's point they tried some stuff over the years cletus the robot right they, they tried all oh, that stuff yeah and it was it certainly you know was was a hallmark of them you know trying to be a little innovative and maybe sometimes too much but i think when people saw madden summer all they're like okay this is going to be real football then i think you know to your point that that makes it easier for that transition and they probably struggle if they don't. If they try to bring in God knows who else at that point, they probably struggle out of the gate. So I do think there's, while that may be a hot take, you're probably right, Jeff. Fox may not be Fox without without what Madden and Summerall did for the football package. Yeah, it really was uh, was was the game changer for them uh, for sure. They had, as Eric said, they had to have them. There was just no no two ways about that. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, I upon reading recently, I did not know that the idea of the first down line sort of came from John Madden. You know, they were having a production meeting and, and he had, uh, had done some stuff on the Telestrator and marked the first down line. And he said something to the effect of, well, why don't we just leave that down there all the time? And, and so, so we got answers like, well, uh, I don't think we have the technology for it or, or, or it'd be too distracting or whatever. Now, if you see a game and they don't put the, the first down line immediately, you wonder what's wrong. Hey, where's first down line? Where's first down line? Right. You know? <laughs> so you think and that's about- expanded to goal line and red zone and all this different stuff that they have now. You're right. And yeah. The Telestrator is such a huge part. Like, can you imagine not having a Telestrator now? Like, and he was so good at keeping the audience invested in the game, even when the blowouts. Like, I remember watching the Giants-Broncos Super Bowl. And the thing I was most excited, I was a kid. The thing I was excited about is not just who was going to win the game, but like, What's going to happen with the Gatorade bucket and how is Madden going to break that down? Because he did that throughout the Giants playoff. That was the, the big story. You know, oh, who's going to dump the bucket on Bill Parcells? And he would tell us straight where the bucket is and how it's going to go down. And it was like, wow, this is like cool stuff. And he would just tell us straight random stuff. Troy Aikman's beard or lack of their own. Right, which they showed in the documentary. Uh, And that's the thing that was so funny. He just... You had to stick around to watch the game because you didn't know what John was going to do. I mean, the Thanksgiving games, that's John Madden as well, the turducken. Nobody, I don't remember people eating food after a game, getting turkeys. He was the one who created that. Yeah. 
I read a fun story about the turducken. So I guess it was a, a local guy in Louisiana that had first dreamed up the turducken. And uh, Matt went down one day, tasted it, and said, this is fantastic. We got to have this. And obviously, the turducken tradition was born. And that guy said something effective. Before Madden, they were selling like 200 a year or something. And post-Madden, it was like 16, 17,000 turduckens they were selling. He had to hire a whole new staff and all this other stuff. And obviously, Madden you know, helped put them on the map. And a few years later, he gets a, a Christmas gift in the mail. And it's from Madden. And it's a box of chocolates. And it says, hey, thanks for everything. And the guy was like, you're thanking me? You know, you, you, you put my business on the map. And you're, you're sending me a card thanking me for the turducken. So I think what... I think what drew people to him, guys, is he he felt like just every every man in America, right? He just felt like your everyday normal person who just knew a boatload more football than you ever would, right? And that's just kind of how we how we felt like he came across. Same thing with you know with with Aikman's beard or the water cooler. I mean, those are all things that we as as football fans, as, as sports guys, we all get lost in the stupidity of things at times, right? And sometimes you know that's where our mind is at. Like, what's that guy wearing those shoes for? And we're just thinking about some nonsense. Well, Matt just said it out loud, and all of us were like, you know what? I was that's the same thing I was thinking. And we all, I think, resonated with that because that's what you and your friends are doing anyway in the living room. You're like, man, let's see what he does with the Gatorade bucket. And broadcasters didn't talk about that. But Madden was just every man. He was everyday common Joe, Joe Q public. And he just knew a boatload more about football than us. And I think that's what connected everyone to him is he just felt like you were talking to your friend in the booth. He didn't right. talk to you down. He didn't talk you down, right? He didn't try to make you sound like he's the smartest guy in the room. Like they showed the clip in the, you know, in the, all these commercials like, all right, this is how you watch football. You're going to be over here. You're going to be over here. There's a clip that people have shown on social media, and I know you're both a Cowboy fan, so but this is a, so you may not like, but the Cowboy Eagle game, regular season game in '95, with Barry Switzer goes for it in yes. his own territory and fourth down, which is kind of funny because we see now more teams going for it on fourth down and, and a half yard line. By the way, twenty nine and a half yards, right? <laughs> and and Madden is losing his mind when he and then he's like, they're not going to do this, are they? And then like. They go for it, he misses, and he doesn't get it. Summerall calls it, eh, they're short. And Madden's like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe they went for this. And he's like, I mean, you to have Madden just lose his mind like that. But you all, everybody, I felt like everybody in the country was doing the same thing, whether they were a Cowboy fan or not. Everybody was yelling at Barry Switzer. I swore I thought Barry Switzer was going to get fired right after the game. <laughs> I think Madden even said at the end, they deserve to lose. <laughs> Which, can you imagine somebody saying that now in the air? But he, he, was, he had the cachet. And I think everybody in the country was like, you're right. <laughs> they deserve to lose. Well, the funny thing about it, that's like a minute and a half long clip because yes. he went on for like a minute straight about, I cannot believe it. And he's got the telestrator and he's like, no one over here. Let him. He's just circling stuff. And oh. I mean, he went on. It wasn't just like, well, they shouldn't have done that, Pat. Boy, that's a bad call. Uh, first down Eagle. I mean, he went on to for a minute and a half straight. And that's the beauty of Summerall is he let him do it. He laid out yes, and just let yes. him have his conversation. And that's what I think made those two yin and yang so well together. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, wasn't the there were two tries at that? Because yes. like the first one was yes. called, called called dead. It's like oh, he, had chance, he had a chance to change his mind. Yeah. Yes, and <laughs> he, he didn't. starts off saying they're they're not going to do this again, are they? And and sure enough, they lined up right. So it was the the second of, of two opportunities. Well, that's a great point, Adam. You mentioned. That's what made Summerall great. A lot of play-by-play people would chime in there and it turn and try to turn it into a conversation, right? And that's nothing wrong with that. But with Matt, you didn't have to do that, and Pat knew that. You just let him go. You know, it's funny. We've talked in the past uh, episodes. We talked about the Manning cast and could you know people doing it and who could pull it off. I think if John Madden was John Madden now, he could pull off 
a Manning cast by himself. He wouldn't need a play-by-play guy. And people would tune in uh, because, and Pat Summerall understood that. You just let him rant. You let him do his thing. Don't chime in. A lot of play-by-play people in that scenario, myself included, I'm not, I'm not criticizing because I'm the same way. The, the, the instinct there is to chime in. I like an Al you know, you chime in with your, oh, what? I can't believe it either, John. Why did he do that? Plus, a lot of analysts now wouldn't go after a coach like that. They would, so they may not agree with it, but they were like, whoa, that's, I don't know, man. Well, advanced analytics, I don't know. It's going to be this. John went <laughs> after him, which is pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and to your point, you know, we were talking about uh, uh, the, the Turducken and Thanksgiving and all that. Uh, you think about this, too, because that was also the thing that made Summerall mad and synonymous, because not only were they in your home every Sunday, they were in your home every Thanksgiving. And, you know, and that's the biggest audience that there is uh, for pro football. It, you know, commercials, football, you know, commercials. Yeah, it, he was a businessman. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't know this until I watched the documentary. He hosted Saturday Night Live. How many analysts can you even <laughs> think about that would even host Saturday Night Live? And then he was on all these commercials. Yeah. Uh, and Pat would chime in. There was that Fox promo they showed where Pat's dressed up and John's like, I'm not dressing up like you. And Pat's like, eh, this is Fox. Relax. Settle down. <laughs> but that's it was just he was smart businessman. That's why he worked for all the four networks. He knew how to and the important people would go to him and talk, call him to negotiate. Yeah. And uh, and the other Thanksgiving note I was going to bring up, too, was evidently that, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ray goes in and, and they have to have Thanksgiving away from their families and all that. He made sure that the referees for the game got invited to whatever network he was working at at the time to, to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner because they had nobody. So, you know, just a guy thinking of the little things, right? You know, that, that's really great stuff. I think the other thing that made him special, you know, is he was really the first analyst that made offensive linemen recognizable. I mean, before then, it was uh, you might hear about the offensive linemen when the referee calls holding number 79. That's <laughs> right. Um, he was the one, you know, when you go back to those Cowboy teams, you know, people knew who Nate Newton was, who Mark Tuinay was, who Mark Stepnoski was, Eric Williams, Larry Allen. You could, you know, you could name those guys off the top of your head. You know, you could talk about like Russ Grimm of the Washington football team. I mean, he really made that glamorous to some degree for offensive linemen. And, you know, and we all know the game really is one in the trenches. <laughs> Exactly. And he was the best at highlighting everybody on the team. Not a, and not a, not that the, the, the current guys don't, but let's be real. If Romo in particular and then Aikman, they focus on the quarterback and the skill position guys. Collinsworth is probably the best at highlighting the linemen. And, he, and he's obviously made a business out of it because he does a pro football focus where he rates every player in the NFL, including linemen. And I, I would imagine he was influenced by John Madden because, he, you know, he saw him up close on that. But you're right. John had a way of not just highlighting the quarterback and the skill position guys, but offensive linemen. He was a lineman himself. So, of course, he comes from that perspective, you know, that belief he was a, a lineman there. And then he played to that strength. I mean, Lawrence Taylor says, hey, you know, this guy's pushing me out big time. I'm going to push him at Ronnie Lott, you know. He really, I think, helped Mike Singletary. You knew who these guys were because they were on his all-Madden team. Remember how big of a deal that was? Like, ooh, who's on the all-Madden team? That, I think people cared more about that than the actual Pro Bowl rosters. Or the all-Pro listings, right? Right, yeah. right. 
Well, you mentioned I was watching uh, one of his uh, one of his highlights, and it was an Emma Smith touchdown run, and uh, Larry Allen pulled across the formation. They just nailed some guy, took him out. I think it was Cornelius Bennett, just absolutely wiped him out, and uh, Emma scores a touchdown. And they were showing the replay. I don't think Madden mentioned Emma Smith's name. He, he all he talked about was Larry Allen. <laughs> and for a second there, I was like, wait, who scored? Like I thought maybe it was the backup. I don't remember the backup was at that time. Uh, Williams of some sort, right? But like that's all he cared about was he showed at three different angles. He circled the guy, watched Cornelius Bennett get blocked over. And he made Larry Allen, you know, a non-glamorous mammoth of a human being, a, a household name. As a, as a Cowboys fan growing up, I knew Larry Allen as much as I knew about Emmett Smith. And it was because John Madge showed me every Sunday why Larry Allen was so important to be on the team. So I think you hit it on the head there. He, he made every he, – he showed you the importance of the game. He wasn't just, hey, there's a touchdown. Hey, this guy scored. Hey, look how fast this guy is. He, he, wasn't, he was able to get into the details, but he made it fun. He made it easy to digest, and he made it something that you were hoping to hear about. Not not over technical, um, and I, I don't know that many people have that skill. I think that's an absolute skill that some broadcasters, you point Collins, where some people have, but it's a skill, and, and and a lot of a lot of folks are missing it these days. Yeah, and I think uh, the only other analyst I could think of that really did a great job on offense with offensive linemen was Dan Deardorff because he was one himself. Correct, Deardorff yeah. was very good, and that was kind of like, hey, we got to find the next Madden. That was kind of during that time period, like who, like Matt Millen, right? He was kind of trying to be groomed mm-hmm. to be the next. Yep. M- John Madden, and I think Deardorff was in that level when they threw him in there with Frank Gifford and Al. I like that Monday Night Crew. I think they're, I think they get a, they're underrated. I, I don't know why, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you know, Cosell and everything, and it's a drop off. I don't know. I like that crew. And to your point, that was Deardorff's role was the lineman because Frank could figure out the skill. But, but again, that takes two guys. John was his own guy, and what was so brilliant again. Summerall would take care of Emmett Smith, to your point there, Adam. Hey, Emmett Smith, the one that scored. And then John was like, well, this is why Emmett scored. He would explain to you why he scored. Look at the hole that's set up by Larry Allen and things like that. Or, you know, when Walter Payton, look at what a great blocker he is. And he, he showed you sides of the game that you didn't know. And he and, and it was a perfect marriage because that's, that's why football is so popular because it's the perfect sport for television. You know, I love going to football games in person, but you don't see some of these things that you do on TV. And John was the best at showing you, look at what you're seeing here. Oh, wow. Okay, that makes sense. The, you know, that's why that play worked. I, w- I would love to see or have had the opportunity to have Madden call games in the current era where you've got spread offenses, wide open offenses. I mean, <laughs> obviously, us three were UCF guys. Imagine him calling a Josh Heupel style game with the, with the way they run offense. I would love to have seen that just and I don't think he'd be critical of it, just how he would talk about it, what he would say about it. Uh, I, I think, you know, that would have been a, a great gift if we had the ability to have that you know, as he was uh, kind of transitioning out of the out of the football world. Yeah. Well, you know what, what, what? What's crazy? I found this out. You know, Adam, you, we were talking about being in a rabbit hole about YouTube with Madden. I found this out in preparing here. He did a Division three college football game. I don't know if people know this. In 1982, you might know about this, Jeff. There was the NFL strike, uh, so they missed like half the season. So CBS was looking for programming, and. Back then, the networks, and this is kind of crazy to say, but they had a contract where they had to carry a certain amount of Division II games and Division Three. I think them and ABC uh, rotated that. Like, ABC would one year carry Division Two games, CBS would carry Division Three, et cetera, and they would flip. So CBS decided to move game, uh, uh, division their Division Three games, to Sunday to create programming. And Madden and Summerall did a Division Three game 
And Madden was all about it. He just loved football. And it got positive reviews. It did good numbers to the point where CBS tried to move, imagine this, some of the college football games to Sunday to fill in the programming. But because of the contracts, like the other networks blocked it. So they couldn't do it. But Madden did a Division Three college football game. So I do wonder, we're seeing this now with Kurt Herbstreit and Chris Fowler. They're going to do an NFL game again. Uh, week 18 they did one uh, last year I do think to your point Adam I think if Madden was still doing games today in his prime I think he would probably be involved in college football in a cameo appearance I because he was that big of a figure can you right like remember the the Monday Night Crew Michaels, Deardorff and Gifford did the Sugar Bowl for a lot of years I could see Madden doing something like that a college maybe a national title game maybe an alternate broadcast whatever I think he would have been involved in the playoff college football picture. And I think we, it would be fascinating to see his perspective. But he's, he was still part of the committee in the NFL as far as rules and things like that. Bill Belichick's talked about that in his presser this week. Matt was involved in the 100 NFL greatest players uh, panel. And he's part of the panel of all the rules. So he's he's kept in touch with what the game is going today. Especially because he wants his video game to be as close to realistic as possible to the actual game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I got the feeling if, if you'd asked him to, you know, call a high school state championship, he would be all over it too. Yep. Uh, no, no question. You know, uh, we brought up a little bit earlier, you know, uh, they came up with a Madden cruiser because he was, you know, doing the, the trains instead of airplanes. And, and, you know, it's kind of a misconception. He was afraid to fly. He was claustrophobic. So, so you know, that led to a lot of his anxieties towards flying is concerned. So he was doing trains and things like that. And so two stories I have here, uh, you know, the idea for the Madden Cruiser came up because they were having a hard time getting him. They had like a midweek thing they wanted him to do in Vegas and then go back to the East Coast. They borrowed Dolly Parton's traveling bus. And that's where the idea for the Madden Cruiser came along, uh, you know, because he must have told him how much he, he loved it and, you know, be being on the train and all that good stuff and they could keep keep that thing going to keep it on schedule the other story uh, that i that i came across was back from 9-11 um peggy fleming a world-class skater had uh, was had done an event in pennsylvania and 9-11 happened and she was stuck she stayed there for a few days she lives in california and she was uh wasn't really keen on driving herself all the way there. Well, she was with IMG, which was uh, also, uh, uh, she was a client of IMG, just like Madden was. So somebody said, hey, John Madden's going to pick you up and take you home. So they're going cross country. So they talk and, to, you know, he, you know, she talks about surviving breast cancer, all this stuff and, and things like that. And along the way, she says, you know, I, I, I want to pay you for this. I, you know, I, I, I can't just take a free ride from you. He says, well, okay, you can do two things. You can be on my weekly radio show, which we do from the bus. And when we stop uh, in Nebraska, I'm going to scrub down the windows. You can help me do that. So the picture of big, burly John Madden and an Olympic figure skater in Peggy Fleming washing windows just brings a smile to my face, right? It's, uh, you can picture that in 100 years. So he buys her a cowboy hat because she's frustrated with her hair and all that stuff. And they become, you know, lifelong friends because of, uh, of this situation. So uh, you just never know how things in life are going to transpire. Right. And, and here he is just helping somebody out, uh, you know, on the way you, he's come on, come on aboard. You know, you know, I think back about the Madden cruiser. 
I think I would have loved to have been a driver for him. What a cool job, huh? What a job. Like, what a role. Uh, And they interviewed him in the documentary. Yes. Uh, and what was it like for like a couple decades? That's a while. And people wanted to be in that man. Peter King was in. He said when he got to Sports Illustrated, one of his goals was to write and be on the Man Cruiser. Like, Adam, I feel like you would want to do a podcast from the Man Cruiser. I feel that would be the invention yeah. today. Right. He would do he would probably have a podcast. Right. If, if he wanted to could do a podcast from his cruiser right now. What's what's funny? You think about I mean, college game day now has the bus. SEC Network has the bus. Uh, I, part of me wonders if that's not a direct reflection of, of Madden and sort of the the cool factor of having a, a big giant bus with you know all the TVs playing games and places Great to point. sleep. Now you see it every Saturday the game day bus rolls into town and it's always on the broadcast. I also think it was cool that you know in typical Madden fashion he kind of thought two steps ahead. You know, and he, he marketed the bus. It was sponsored by Outback for a while there, right? So you know he, he leveraged his own you know I guess quirk of a track into a way to, to actually continue to, to find uh, opportunities for uh, for advertisement. So and he I think he was always kind of ahead. <laughs> yeah, and, and free steak from Outback doesn't hurt, right? Uh, and I think uh, he was always a step ahead in that kind of stuff. That's unbelievable. And and it just, but he was a smart I mean, guy. Like Tony Romo probably, you know, he's making what, 18 million in his deal now? I mean, how much would John Madden make right now? Okay. He would make more than make? Roma money. Right. Right? Price, right? Probably probably write whatever you want on the check at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. And of course, you know, everybody talks about the, the video game generation and all this. And mm-hmm. and so uh, the story goes that uh, when EA approached him and it was on a train uh, at the time about uh, doing doing a video game. And of course, you know, he could have done what everybody else did. Back in those days, yeah, you know, write me a big check and slap my name on it, you know. But he he was like engaged and you know, he wants this to be a great thing. And the first proposal was, well, we only have enough room on screen to do seven on seven. He goes, well, that's not football. So uh, they said, well, it'll probably be years before we get to eleven on eleven. He says, well, then it'll take years. <laughs> so he was willing to wait it out. So you think about that and, and how involved he is with, you know, he just didn't want it to be, you know, uh, his name on the box. He wanted it to be realistic. He wanted it to be great. And, and, and you know, look at what that did for the video game industry as a whole. I mean, that just, to, just to think of the explosion was because of Madden football. It's the most recognizable video game, right? Out there, like, you know, I'm, I'm a casual video game guy. I don't know how you guys were, but I I, I feel like everybody's played Madden at some point. Whether you're yeah. a sports fan or not, somebody has played Madden at some point. And it was, you know, because I was a Tecmo Bowl guy. I like Tecmo Bowl. <laughs> but kind of look, comparing it to Madden is insane because Tecmo Bowl is like Bo Jackson would pop in and break it for 60 yards every play. Madden was realistic. It had broadcast. You had his voice. It had Pat Summerall. Uh, you could create different stuff, and it just revolutionized not only the, the football video game, but I think sports video games in general, because I think the other sports were like, well, we need to kind of, you know, figure it out here uh, and, and raise our game a little bit. But there's no video. I mean, when I think video games, Madden comes up and the cover, how big of a deal? Oh, there's a Madden curse or who's going to be on the cover? Guys, now they're doing shows based on what a guy's rating is in the video game. I mean, it gets so much chatter. It's the most recognizable video game. He, I, I hope he made up. He had to have made a ton of money off that too. Well, I, I read, so he, uh, I guess in the, in the contract negotiations, uh, I think Larry Bird and somebody else had had a game out prior to him. Dr. And Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. 
Doctor, they were making 50K and in two and a half percent sales on all games. So Madden said, give me 105 percent sales. So, I mean, they've sold, uh, God knows, they're 18 billion worldwide or some number. I mean, he had to have certainly had a good, uh, wealthy coffer. And think about it now. Madden is not just a game. It, it's on it's on TV. There are people playing Madden. There's Madden tournaments. I mean, it's almost like people probably forget what Madden stands for. That's, that's a person, right? Because, you know, I'm watching ESPN2 and ESPN3 and ESPN Ocho and whatever. And there's, there's a Madden tournament. I'm watching guys play Madden on TV, right? That's how big that transcended. And, and it, I think it's cool. And Lamar Jackson was one of the ones in the documentary how much that still resonates, how much that means to people to be on the cover, to get a 99 rating. There's there's guys who go around to stadiums every week and they watch teams play and they go back and they have a meeting and they give you more ratings points, right? They decide, no, your speed goes up, your awareness goes up. It's an entire you know entity. It's in conglomerate. And to think that he was just on a, on a, on a train going, yeah, fine, I'll do it. Uh, and, and where it's kind of moved into, again, you, you think about forethought. And I don't know that he had that forethought that it was going to become this. But, I mean, Madden itself, the game, is its own entire stratosphere. And, and you know, I think that just shows, you know, how, how much people connected to him. Because early on, he was the reason you bought it. Then it became something you had to have. And now it's just part of your life. And if you haven't played Madden, to Eric's point, as a 14, 15-year-old kid, you know what I mean? You're, you're probably one of a, a hundred who hasn't touched a controller to play Madden. So I think it just goes to show how much he's, you know, transcended that popular lexicon. And he would give advice in the video game, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that was the whole, it was like the broadcasters like, ah, I wouldn't do that. Or maybe you should suggest <laughs> these players. Remember like, what would Madden do on this play Madden selection? Do, yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. I think the, the other fun thing I read was he, you know, he would go in a studio and he, and he would have to record like hours of this stuff because it would have to be every team and every scenario, right? So Cincinnati has to punt, Cleveland has to punt. And he, you know, he said it was like hours, days and days and days. And finally, one day he said, I'm not doing this anymore. And they brought in Chris Collinsworth. So do it. And Collinsworth became the video game because he was like, I'm done doing this. I've been here for six days straight saying every team and every scenario and every player, I'm done with this. Bring Collinsworth in. So, well, and he had to say something about himself. And he had to say something about each player, right? There was always that comment. And I I read the funny part was like Scott Mitchell. One year was Scott Mitchell. And all he said was, Scott Mitchell uh, played at Utah. (laughs) All he can say, oh, man, that's not a good sign. Maybe I shouldn't use Scott Mitchell. And then everybody wanted to use Michael Vick. I mean, it was just – it's amazing. And a lot of guys, they, they, they to hear the young players talk about how that video game influenced them in playing football, that's just kind of wild. It's just wild to me on that. It's, it's yeah. insane. Well, and think of the and genius. What he said, think of the genius. Yeah, so he of said the, he, of he wanted that to be the, the teaching tool, right? That's what he wanted. Yes. He, did, he wanted just to teach people football. That's what he thought the game was going to do. Obviously, he didn't think he was going to blow up into this. Yeah, think of the genius of EA Sports to even approach him, you know, if they had gone to Merlin Olsen, this, stuff, oh. this wouldn't be happening, right? <laughs> poor Merlin, man. Poor Merlin. He's a t- tough act, right? Yeah. I mean, you're right, though. I mean, I think I remember that Jordan versus Bird video game, yeah. I think that was, mm-hmm. which was kind of yep. cool, but you're right. I mean, it's such a different in landscape, and nobody has figured this out. Like, there's been, I'm right. I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. There's no other video game that has, like, Joe Montana tried to have a video game, and that didn't last. Like nobody in basketball has come up with that Madden NBA version or baseball. It's just him. Like nobody says it's NFL this. And the NFL, to their credit, they haven't tried to compete with it. You know, it's like, all right, that's his deal, man. That's him, Madden. Yeah. And, of course, you just think, you know, that goes to another topic, which I actually didn't put on our list. But, you know, you think about his relationship with the league. You yes. know, where, where all the influence he has with the competition committee and just, you know, the respect of all the coaches, you know, because, you know, think about it back in the day when he said, you know, I want to watch the practices. He had the cachet to get that done. 
no, no other analyst would have been able to pull that off. So you think about those relationships and the things that he that he parlayed. You know, I mean, he was NFL royalty. Yeah, Roger Goodell was on it, right? Talked about how. You know, he, he would go on the cruiser. How, how many commissioners you're going to hear? Ah, I wanted to be on the cruiser. And he got emotional during that and talking about what he's meant and talking to him and picking his brain about the game and things like that. And, you know, again, I feel like everybody in that time frame, if they were involved in the NFL, they needed a question. If they had a question, they needed an opinion, they go to John Madden. Everybody, coaches, league people. It, again, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. Ever like, like Charles Barkley is probably the big name now. Is kind of similar to Man in that everybody wants to know what Barkley says and what he thinks. But I don't envision like Charles Barkley hanging out with Adam Silver and Adam calling like, "Hey, Charles, I know you trash our young guys today, but what do you think we should do with the league?" I don't see that happening like they did with Man. That, that it's pretty wild. Yeah, I think it, it was a genuine nature. I think that's what probably connected it, right? You weren't going to get a hot take or whatever we, we call it today, right? You were just going to get a genuine opinion uh, and an informed opinion. And then I think today, unfortunately, you Eric, you may get a lot of hot takes from guys and, you know, people are doing stuff to get, you know, headlines and get clicks where I don't think Madden would have cared about that then. I, I highly doubt he cared about it now. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we referenced earlier, you know, he was also also, you know, a big, personality with commercials you know in the old light beer from miller campaign taste great less filling you know and they had a ton of uh, of athletes and celebrities that did those commercials but really you know the two that stand out are john madden and bob Uecker. you yeah. know those those were the guys who really were the, were the big stars of, of those commercials and then you, you think uh, uh at one time you know pat Sorrell was the voiceover guy for true value and john madden was for ace hardware so I wonder if they had any hardware discussions. Uh, so, but you think about that, you know, uh, you know, as a, as a commercial pitch man, it was it was also utilizing his boom. You know, the the most famous iconic one with the light beers and breaking through uh, the screen at the end. He's because he's, he's not done talking. You know, it just it was just just a great glimpse. You you felt like you were still getting the real John Madden even in a commercial. Yeah, I mean, that was why he kind of related, right? That's why he was marketable. I mean, I think they even said in the documentary, right, like Michael Jordan, John Madden were like the big endorsers uh, among that time period where you see them a lot in commercials. And uh, you're right. They just, he was a relatable guy. Um, and I, again, we'll never see anything like that. Like basketball, I don't believe has ever had a broadcaster, an analyst like that. Like, you know, I think Jeff Van Gundy is, and Mark Jackson may end up being that, but they're not at the level of Madden. Um the only closest one I can think of from a style standpoint as far as teaching the game, and Adam, you know this is as a Heat fan, Dr. Jack Ramsey was very good at that, doing the ESPN radio and then the Heat games locally. He was one that would also highlight a lot of different players, and he would have his personality, you know, Bashan Leonard, you know, and, and but he didn't make it to that national level on the TV side. He did it more on the radio side. He was more low-key than John. Baseball really hasn't had that guy. Uh, either I don't I don't there's not many um, you know I, I think that's he's one of unique like I think in today's football we don't even have that number one like Romo Aikman Collinsworth you, you can kind of they're all kind of equal I would argue Kurt Herbstreet has become that for college football he's probably the best all-around football analyst he's won sports Emmys but he doesn't have the personality, the cachet of a man. But you're starting to see Herb Street involving commercials. He's probably the closest. But again, it, it, it would take multiple people 
to be a John Madden in today's day and age. Here's the power of Madden, in my opinion, as an ad salesman, right? The commercial I remember the most was boom, tough acting to Nacton, right? Yeah. And that's, that's athlete's foot powder. It's easy to sell Miller Lite. That's probably not hard to sell. But athlete's foot powder, I will always remember tough acting. To, I don't know if they still make it, by the way. If I ever have athlete's foot, I will they probably do. go to the store and try to find tough acting to Nacton just because I'm John Madden. Again, easy to sell someone Miller Lite. That's probably an easy sell. He was the tough acting to Nacton guy. And that, for some reason, that's the commercial I always think of him with. Although you could argue that he made light beer cool because, you know, light beer hasn't been around forever. I mean, it was really the late 70s and early 80s when light beer hit the scene. So even he made that an industry. (laughs) He was helpful because I could could cure my athlete's foot and I could have a cold beer at the same time. (laughs) Well, I didn't hear about Outback until he started promoting Outback and that was on the cruiser. I'm like, oh, that's a great place to eat. Good idea, John. (laughs) Thanks. I'll go there. Yeah, I think he did. Uh, I think he did McDonald's too at, at one time. So you know, yeah, but, but, yeah, what a great pitch man to have, you know. So, uh, so this weekend, you know, the NFL has announced they're going to have a moment of silence at uh, at every game uh, coming up, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, because he worked for all four. You know, they're all going to have. Tri- I mean, they would probably have tributes for him anyway, but they'll but they'll at least have their own unique tribute That's what because I'm, of the yeah. opportunity they have to to have worked with him. Um, so as we close things out, you know, what would be your kind of concluding thought, uh, you know, to encapsulate John Madden? I think he's an iconic coach, an iconic sportscaster, an iconic entrepreneur. I mean, how many people can relate to all the different generations that John Madden did, going from the 70s to, to present and to the future? Like, this Madden game ain't going away. Like, he's always going to be around. Uh, to me, that's just amazing. I can only and, – and to go out on top, like, he was the guy. Even at the end, without Michaels in the last Super Bowl, was he at his peak? Probably not. But he was still, like, nobody was going to – nobody was kicking him out. Right? And then broadcasting, nobody is shy to kick somebody out in a moment's notice, no matter how popular you are or push you to a side. He was not that. And I can only think of him, a Johnny Carson for late night television, guys that just stood out in their industry that went out on their terms. And there was no debate on who was better. Like, who was the second guy? That's the debate. Like Jerry Rice, there's no debate. He's the best wide receiver ever. John Madden's the best analyst. There's no debate. That's my, you know, that's my, uh, when I think of John Madden, that's what I always want to think. And that was my, you know, growing up watching football, I knew John Madden. I was disappointed when he wasn't doing the Super Bowl. Adam? Yeah, for me, I think I said it earlier. It just felt like he was he was an everyday, normal person that you were watching or listening to talk about football, and he just knew a boatload more about it than you do. And he explained things to you that you didn't understand, and he highlighted things that maybe you would never see. And it just made you feel like you were having a conversation with him, even though he was in a booth, you know, three thousand miles away, and you were on your couch. You know, you felt like you had a friend who knew more about football. Uh, and I guess that's that's the thing that he was just so relatable, and you saw that in the way that he pitched product. You saw that in the way that he wanted to make a video game i guess that relatability and just he, he felt like he was an everyday everyday friend of yours calling football games i think that transcends you didn't you didn't think that you were getting a polished version of somebody who sat there and practiced in front of the mirror you're getting his true authentic self uh, and i think far and few between of those guys unfortunately are out there today but he just felt like he was everybody's friend and i think if you you want to talk about synergy right you said this off the top jeff that the Madden documentary is going to be on espn plus 
It's going to be on Peacock. It's on Fox. When's the last time you saw those three all get together and all agree on something and share property? So I think that shows you how much Madden transcends and how how important he is to all those different entities when they're willing to all play nice and do something because uh, their their listeners, their watchers are, 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 wanna, are going to want to see that because he's so important. Yeah. You know, and I did see a tweet that uh, made all the perfect sense in the world that said for the next Madden cover, it should be John Madden. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think I totally agree with that. And I, and I think uh, you know Jerry Jones may have summed it up best. Uh, he when he said about uh, John Madden, he said John Madden lived the best football life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and he got to live it all of his life, which is which is incredible. When you when you, I agree. That. I agree. I mean, like you two are cowboy fans. Can you imagine anybody else doing a cowboy forty nine er game? <laughs> oh gosh, no, no, <laughs> no, no. It would be weird, Honestly, right? Like that's the sound. Yeah, it's the soundtrack of my childhood is listening to Pat Summerall and John Madden in Texas Stadium with the hole in the roof and the Cowboys and the Niners. I mean, that's the soundtrack of my childhood. Yeah, no. And uh, and yeah, you know, you, you figured, you know, Jerry Jones got to know him very well. And I think he filmed his Dr. Pepper commercial in Texas Stadium. <laughs> so, 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 so there you go. Well, guys, I very much appreciate this. I know you hopped in on uh, uh, short notice uh, during a holiday week. So I am uh, certainly grateful for that. And uh Again, thanks for taking time to do this All Madden special with me. Always an honor and awesome to talk about John Madden. We could do it for hours, but uh, an, an icon and, and, and really somebody that we're very fortunate to be around, to grow up with him or just see his work. Because I think we all have, I think the three of us have, and a lot of people have the passion for sports and media and broadcasting and in parts because of John Madden. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's ever a reason to get together and do a special, I think John Madden is the perfect reason. So always good to be with you guys and always good to talk a little, a little media, a little sports. Well, I hope you enjoyed this bonus podcast, the All Madden special. Hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as Adam Eric and I had discussing it and really paying tribute to one of the greats of football. From head coach to broadcaster to video games, truly an icon, John Madden. May he rest in peace. And with that, we are done here. <laughs>